Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Laura. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, greetings and welcome. Uh, We are so glad that you're here this morning. And it's my turn to preach. (laughs) Uh, Before we get started, though, was anybody at the spit this week when the orcas were in there? No? Okay. I was hoping because I wanted to live vicariously through you through that moment. I just keep missing it. Um, Anyways, that was, what an amazing place we live in. I think I say that every time we stand up here to preach, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's the truth. As we were, uh, as I was preparing for this message, um, I don't have the greatest of memories, particularly with stories. Um, I feel really bad because sometimes I don't even remember what the names, the meanings of my kids' names are. Like, I'll, like, bless them. I think Lucy means light. Uh, But I love them dearly, and I just am not great with the details sometimes. So I keep a note on my phone for stories and potential illustrations. I started this years ago and (laughs) went into it this week to remind myself of some stories. Um, And there was only one in there, so I guess there's no stories that have happened that were worthy of being shared here. Um, And clearly I forgot that I made that note and have not been keeping track. But I just wanted to share with you the one story, and it has nothing to do with my message today. Um, it was, <laughs> it just gives a little bit of insight into mine and Mike's marriage relationship. Um, I'm married to the other pastor here, Pastor Mike, and it said in there, uh, we're approaching our anniversary, and it was 10 weeks away, And I said to Mike, do you want to lose 10 pounds with me uh, leading up to our anniversary? And to which he agreed. And then later that night, he said to me, I'm so glad that you asked me to have a race with you to lose 10 pounds first. (laughs) And so that was obviously not what I said. Um, But Mike just loves to use his words um, to push every button that I have built into me. (laughs) So I'm sure at that point, it most definitely did become a race because I just had to beat him. (laughs) So that was my story. Has nothing to do with our message, but I found a story in the Bible that will fit just fine today. (laughs) We've been in this series, Compare Jesus. This series is taking us through the book of Hebrews, and essentially it's the litmus test for Jesus. Is he better? And I want to encourage you and extort, exonerate, encourage. I'm going to stick with that word. Exhort. There it is. Not extort. I will never. (laughs) Wow. We are off to a great start this morning. Exhort you. You can test. You can put Jesus to the test in your life. It's okay to 
ask the big questions, to compare Jesus to the rest of the world, to what society is offering you, to what has been built into our cultural norms today. You can run a litmus test on Jesus, and I want to assure you that he will come out better every single time. Jesus is the better option every single time. Our umbrella passage that we have been referring to throughout this passage is, uh, throughout this series, is Hebrews 12, verses one to three. We're gonna read it together. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition uh, from sinful people so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. In summary, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is an encouragement to hold on to hope in the challenging times and that that hope is found in Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today. I thank you that we can stand together and be together and, and laugh and share funny stories, that we can not take ourselves too seriously, that we can come together and open up your word and be assured that your truth is supreme, that it is superior to all else in our lives. And so we submit ourselves to the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, would you speak to us? As we run a litmus test, God, we know that you will prove faithful to be the better option, King Jesus. I bless my fellow brothers and sisters here this morning. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews again, this time to chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 32 to 35. I'll give you a second because I flipped during the bumper. Verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were treated in such a way. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away this confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Jesus is the better. Oh, guys. Possession. Today we're going to talk about possessions. Jesus, in this passage, is the better possession. I'm sorry. I just threw that on you without any warning whatsoever. That was unfair. That was unfair. The book of Hebrews, the early Christians in this time um, were facing a lot of persecution and not because of what we might think. Uh, it's actually because in the early days of Christianity, Christians were viewed as atheists. They went against everything that Rome and, and Jewish believers believed about God. They believed that Jesus Christ was the temple to end all temples 
that Jesus was the priest to end all priests, that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And this went against everything that religion around God had been constructed. We had to come to the temple. We had to continue sacrificing. There had to be a priest that made a way that was the mediator that went before us and we weren't worthy to enter into the presence of God. When Jesus came, he flipped all of that on its head and as a result, believers in the early church were severely persecuted. And as we read, um, the author of Hebrews is reminding them, remember what it felt like when you were publicly exposed when you suffered alongside those who were put in prison, and when you were able to joyfully accept the cons, cons- when people took away your stuff. <laughs> because you knew that you yourselves had found the better and lasting possession. Jesus is the lasting possession. And that possession comes to us at an unimaginable cost. The author of Hebrews in this passage is reminding believers to remember the better possession, to remember the faith of old that they had in the days prior. Let's turn to chapter Luke chapter 15. We're going to read a story. Chapter 15, verse 11. This is the parable of the lost son. And I'm going to change that heading a little bit to the lost son's. Verse 11, Jesus continued. I'm gonna read a big passage here, so buckle up. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Um, Back in that day, the younger brother would have received one third of the inheritance. The older brother would have received two thirds. That was the cultural norm, so that's how it would have been divided. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, which signified being welcomed back into the family. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said to him, what, and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Amen. This is an interesting story and, and it's famously called the prodigal son, the son who returned home. We, we all have learned about this story in Sunday school. Um, if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard this story, the prodigal of the lost of the, the prodigal son. But there's two brothers in this story. One heart condition, but both are in grave danger of missing the point. They just had two different methods of going about it. And what was this heart condition? Both of the sons in this story completely missed the point. They didn't love the father for the sake of the father. They cared more about the possessions and more about their inheritance, what they were gonna get out of him. They just went about getting it two very different ways. The younger brother was blatant. He broke all the moral laws and demanded right up front, he basically said to his father, I wish you were dead, essentially. In those days, um, your identity, your self, your family respect, all of that was wrapped up in your property. So when the younger brother asked the father, uh, uh, demanded his half or his portion of the inheritance, he was essentially wishing his father dead and caused him great humiliation when the father would have had to sell his property, a portion of the property. The older brother, though harder to see, is in equally as dangerous a position. He went about sinning against the father by following all of the rules and keeping all of the laws. So what's wrong with this? Where did the older brother go wrong? The older brother thought that he could earn his way in and that somehow his father owed him a debt by the good that he had done. But the hope, the, the, the goal was the same for both brothers. They just wanted the inheritance. And I mean, I kind of understand why the older brother would have been upset um, with the dad welcoming the younger brother back into the family, putting the ring on his finger and all of that. That meant that he was welcoming him back into the family, which meant that the older brother's inheritance would thus be divided again. So we can understand perhaps if there would be some frustration, but let's not forget that this was his brother who was dead but now was alive. The older brother cared for one thing, and that was his portion. And sometimes I think as Christians, we can get caught up in doing good works for the Lord, and somehow he earns or he owes us something. I know it's probably not meant in such an intense way, but I've heard often people say, you know, the passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, where it says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but instead um, store up treasures in heaven. 
we will often hear Christians say when they do a good deed, oh, just adding another jewel to my crown. <laughs> my friends, your crown is already full. You have an inheritance that will be given to you. We don't need to add any jewels to our crown. It is a gift that has been freely given. But it cost a great deal through Jesus. In this parable, Jesus is pointing out a few things. The first thing that he's pointing out is that both brothers already had full access to their inheritance, didn't they? They were already with the father, living in his wealth, in his riches. They were already benefactors and, and able to enjoy the fullness of their inheritance. They got caught up in wanting to control and power it for, over it for themselves. Another thing that this story points out is the father's incredible grace and mercy towards both sons. The older brother, we know that the, the younger brother greatly humiliated his father. Um, and then, you know, that when the father picked up his, sandal, uh, his, his cloak and ran towards the brother, that also would have been greatly undignified for a man of his stature in the community to do. And so we, we, it's easy for us to imagine, you know, how the, the grace and mercy fits in that context. But similarly and equally so, God shows the same, or the father shows the same grace and mercy to the older brother. The fact that the older brother refused to go into the party, essentially he was having a hissy fit. We can call a spade a spade. Um, he was standing outside the gate pouting and refusing to go in. And for the father to actually go outside the gate to talk to his son in the middle of a celebration that he was hosting in that time would have been like max drama. Like, it would have been on all the shows, you know, of like zooming in on them and then zooming in on people in the party, like whispering in their groups, like, oh my gosh, what? This is so rude. How can he do this? It would be so disgraceful for him to do that. And yet the father goes out and he pleads with the son and still offers him the opportunity to come join in. Everything that I have has been yours all along which was literally true, because once the inheritance was divided, whatever was left was the, the older brothers. The father shows, ex, ex, oh, I'm just like, I get half a word out and then there's nothing there on the other end today. Oh my gosh, incredible, incredible grace and mercy to both brothers. The listeners in that time would have noticed, though, that there was a missing piece in this story. If you read from the beginning of chapter 15, there's actually three parables that Jesus tells lumped together. Um, there's the parable of the lost sheep, where the, the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the lost one, and then there's a great celebration. And then following that, there's the parable of the lost coin, where a woman in her um, peasant's home has lost one of her coins and she goes through great to great extents to find that coin and then there's a celebration when that coin is found so at this point when Jesus gets to this story the parable of the lost son the listeners in this time which would have been the sinners who were gathering to listen to Jesus and the Pharisees the elder brothers who were also there listening they would have noticed what was missing. And in this story, there is nobody that goes looking for the son. 
if your brother had gone missing, it could be assumed that the position or the job of the older brother would be to go and find his brother, wouldn't it? When there is family connection, when there is love, when there's a respect for the father, when there is that bond, it would make sense that an older brother would do whatever it takes to go and find his brother. I actually heard Roxy tell a story about this at camp, uh, for the day camp, and uh, just a beautiful example in a wartime, and I'm not gonna get it right, and it's just coming to me now, and so now I regret even launching into it. But there was a soldier during this war that had gone missing, and his brother flew across the world to go and search the jungles to find his brother. So much so, that uh, it was such a, a journey and a struggle that even the soldiers on the other side of the opposition didn't harm him and he became known as the brother. And they let him go by to go and find his missing brother. Kinda seems like this older brother should have done that, but he didn't. So Jesus intentionally misses, leaves out this piece and they would have been sitting there wondering, why did nobody go and get him? And the reason is this. Jesus is the older brother that we needed in this story, isn't he? Jesus is the one who paid it all to make us co-heirs or joint heirs, as it says in Romans 8, so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Jesus came at all costs. And not only did he pay the ultimate price so that we could be in relationship with him and therefore in the family of God, but so that we could be co-heirs in his inheritance that was already his. So how does this apply to us today? How does this passage apply? Friends, when you and I get caught up in earthly things, in seizing the power and control to get the possessions that we want or allowing worry and fear to take over because we no longer trust the source that is all of it, who is Jesus. We end up slowly replacing Jesus, the better possession, with something else. We end up giving up all of the promises that are already ours. From the moment that you welcome Jesus into your life, you are a full heir of all of heaven's realities. And it's not earthly possessions. You can have everything in this world and still be completely in spiritual poverty. But when we accept and acknowledge the beautiful cost that was paid for us, and we give our lives to Jesus, we have full access now and through the power of the Holy Spirit who was left behind for us when Jesus ascended, we have the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. All of those things are completely accessible and given to us. And in eternity, I think that we'll get to experience the fullness of all of that. I think that in today's day and age, we get caught up by thinking, if I could just get this, then I would be happy. If I could just have that boat, 
or if I could just go on this vacation, or if I just had that diploma on my wall, or that technical ability, or if I could just do this like that person, we lose sight of what the better possession is. Let's hop back and just read that passage again from Hebrews chapter 10. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to to insult and persecution, and other times you stood by those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So don't throw away that confidence. It will be richly rewarded. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. I may have mixed up my words, but I am ahead of schedule, so (laughs) y'all can be thankful for that. Put Jesus to the test. Compare him. How's it working out for you struggling to get that thing or to control that situation? Insert Jesus, his promises, the price that he paid. So what we can do today is we can take stock of our lives. Where is it that I'm getting hung up on that thing or that outcome or that situation, that possession? And why have I allowed that to replace Jesus? The next thing that we can do is repent. Repent not just for the wrong, but as the older brother needed to do, repent for the reasons why we've done right. Maybe some of you in this place, and I get caught up in all of this so often myself, but can actually relate a little more and to our humiliation with the older brother this morning. Maybe you are stuck in a cycle of feeling like you need to please God by doing good works. You're setting yourself up for so much disappointment because you already have all that is offered to you. And as a result of that, out of the joy and the understanding of the cost that was paid for us, we do good works because I can't help it. Maybe this morning you need to repent, not for the wrong, but for the reasons that you've done right. The last and final thing that we can do is to behold Jesus. Timothy Keller has this quote, and he says, to the degree in which we see or behold his beauty, we will be free from the fear and neediness that creates either older brothers or younger brothers. Behold Jesus. If he's everything who he says he is, and if he did what he did, then he truly is the best, most glorious, most valuable, enduring, everlasting possession that we could ever need or want. Amen? Jesus did that for you and for I. You are his greatest joy and possession. Is he yours? And if you've lost sight of that this morning, or perhaps you've actually never opened up your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you as we respond in worship to search your heart 
to see that place that perhaps has, that possession that perhaps has taken the place of Jesus in your life and surrender it to him, to put him back where he belongs. The people in the Hebrews uh, that the author was talking to, they had that experience. And I know that if you have come to Christ and you know him, you've had those moments in your life where it didn't matter what tried to knock you down, nothing got in the way of your faith in the Lord. Do you remember those days? I remember those days. I remember showing up at 5 a.m. every single Tuesday when I was a teenager to our church prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings. I was on fire for Jesus. Nothing could get in the way. I wrote, like I shared with as many people as I could about Jesus and what he had done in my life in high school. I got to pray with people. I got to see people healed and, and amazing things happened, not because of me, but because what he had done and because nothing could get in the way of the truth that I had found. Am I still in that place today? Are you still in that place today? One of the important things in the parable that Jesus points out is that there's grace and mercy for both the brothers. Even the older brother who was stuck in his ways, who was being a Pharisee, who had lost sight of relationship with the Father. His grace and mercy was there for him and available to him. So today's message is not a, a condemnation, but an invitation to remember our first love, to insert him back into the place of being the better and best and lasting and enduring possession in our lives. So we're gonna respond with a song this morning. Can we all stand? Let's pray. King Jesus, I thank you for the price that you paid. I thank you that you gave it all and that somehow in some way I was included, I was pictured in your mind when you were on that cross, that I was included in that price that was paid and that it was paid for me. Thank you for the promise of everlasting salvation in the kingdom and family of God. Thank you for doing that for me. Help me to see King Jesus, the areas of my life where I have not fully surrendered or where perhaps I've just slowly drifted and placed something else in the spot where you belong. Reveal that to us all in Jesus' name. King, would you help us? Would you bring us back to our first love this morning? We love you, Jesus, and we fix our eyes on you as we worship. Amen. As our service comes to a close today, I want to remind you of some words from the text Laura brought to us today. Of those first believers, it said, they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. I just want you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Somebody comes to your home today and because of your faith in Jesus, they confiscate property. 
how do you respond? Somebody comes into your social, cultural situation and they seize some of what you feel to be your rights, your freedoms. How do you respond? The first believers responded with joy. How in the world is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because they knew that they had a better and lasting possession. Friends, somebody can take your car, they can take your investments, your savings, they can take your family and rip out your heart with it. They can take your rights and your freedoms, but they can never take the living Jesus from you or you from him. He's better. Hold on to him. Let's pray together. Father, as we go into your world on your mission, you are the one we hold on to. Father, if there are any possessions in our lives that possess us, would you shake us and shake them? We give you permission. May our greatest embrace, our firmest grip, be upon you. We love you, Jesus, and we declare our dependence upon you as we enter into your world that the Comox Valley would know your love and truth also. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Wonderful to be together with you today. Uh, enjoy the cooler-ish, muggy temperatures. <laughs> Have a wonderful week. I hope that you'll spend some time in the lobby or outside connecting with one another. Next week when we gather together, we conclude the Hebrews series. And we will encourage some time praying for the sick for healings and miracles next Sunday. So if that matters to you, I hope that you'll make a special plan to be with us next week to help us pray for those things. Just a reminder, if you've filled out one of those forms, as a good elder brother should, uh, that you're going to help out and serve in our church family in some way. You can leave it on your seat or bring it with you and leave it on the table in the lobby. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. If you're watching online at home, if you're looking to know how you can sign up to help in some ways, we'll be sending an email your way or you can contact our office and we'll let you know. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.